You are listening to a message from Parkway Pentecostal Church here in Corona. Today's message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Jay Black, and it is the second part of our I Thought Marriage Would Fix Everything series. Look at the second part of uh, a two-part that we started a few weeks ago called I Thought Marriage Would Fix Everything. Duh, for you French people. I Thought Marriage Would Fix Everything too, okay? Uh, so let's, let's look at this. Uh, I believe some of the things we are presenting are difficult to accept. And if not difficult to accept, they're probably difficult and they will be difficult to put into practice. And I'll tell you why. Because they cut across the grain of our fallen human nature. But these principles are effective, I believe, because they come from God's word. As I said a few weeks ago, it would be very easy uh, for me to stand up and give, you know, five points of communication, four points, uh, four things not to say when you're angry, and all of those things, and we like that. And we're actually going to do, be doing that uh, on Wednesday nights because having the tools and the equipment is important. But I want to tell you something. The reason I've resisted doing that on a Sunday morning is because we want five easy steps to do. We want five things that will fix our marriage and fix our spouse, but it comes down to this. It comes down to us being changed and us surrendering to the will of God and us being whole in Him. That's the first and starting point, and that's the point where it gets hard, right? Oh, man. It was quiet two weeks ago as well, but anyway, so we'll go for this. All right, so let's give a review. Genesis 1, 26, let's put it on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in his likeness. Uh, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And when Adam and Eve walked in fellowship with God, they were secure in God's unconditional love for them, and they were significant because of God's purposes for their lives that they were living, living. And so in their relationship with one another, because, <clears throat> track with me, because if you were here, remember, because they were secure in God's unconditional love for them, there was satisfaction in the love that they had for one another. Okay? Because they were significant as children of God and significant because God had given them a task to care for the garden and they were walking in obedience. Because they were significant already, they could be fulfilled in what they did and fulfilled in their marriage. Okay? Make sense? All right? And so uh, that reflects God's image because God is a personal being who in his essential nature is love. And as creator, he is the God of design and purpose, therefore the author of meaning. So God is a personal God. God is a God of love. He's also the God of purpose and design. So being made in his image, we are people of love and we're people who want to feel significant and people of purpose. So here's the key point. Because God is love, as his image bears, we need love. Because everything God does is significant, we need to do something significant. In love and security significance are written into our DNA. It's who and how God <clears throat> has made us. And so when Adam and Eve were separated from God, their capacity for significance and their capacity to both receive the love of God and give love to one another and give love to God, that capacity, when Adam and Eve were walking with God, it was a capacity. It was who they were, made in the image of God. But when they chose rebellion and sin and they were separated from God, that capacity became a need because it was no longer automatically fulfilled. 
Does that make sense this morning? And so that's why we need love, and that's why we need significance. They were significant as image bearers, but sin and the, and the sense of destiny and purpose and the shame and brokenness that resulted now has made us needy people. So let's define our terms quickly. Security. Security is the absolute conviction of being unconditionally loved without needing to change in order to win love or having to work to earn love. It is being loved by love freely given and it cannot be earned, therefore cannot be lost, therefore we are absolutely secure. That's what the security means. Significance. The realization that I'm engaged in a responsibility that I was created to do and whose results will not evaporate with time but will last throughout eternity. It is the desire to be important in life of another, of having a meaningful impact on another person or a job or a people I was predestined, equipped, and fully capable of accomplishing. So again, before sin... People willingly participated in God's purposes for them. They were completely satisfied. They knew they were completely loved. But when our needs for security and significance are met, we function as God intended. And I'm, I'm speaking really fast so we can get to the newer stuff today. When those needs are not met, and by the way, we were have, created to have those needs met in God. Remember our significance and security in God. Uh, it's not a design flaw. But when those needs are not met, we long for security and love and significance. And if they're not fulfilled, we enter life at a disadvantage. So I want you to think, and I don't, I don't say this at all judgmentally, but I want you to think of all the dysfunction, all of the, all of the things that we are born into as human beings in today's society that, that even really, even before we ever consider marriage, have already torn apart the very fabric of our security and our significance. Mothers and fathers in the home, the purpose of family was for God, uh, for, for God the Father to show children what, uh, the purpose of, of marriage in the husband and the wife was that the mother and father show children what God the Father was like by loving them unconditionally bringing security into their lives, teaching them that they're significant because they're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and then training those children up so they can be released into life to be fulfilled in the significant uh, tasks that God had for their life and in the secure relationship that they have with God the Father. So when you see the family torn apart the way that it has been, you can see how security and significance have have uh, people start out life without those things, okay? Does that, does that make sense? But folks, there's good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross to restore that. We, can't, we don't just need to be saved and on our way to heaven. We can be saved and whole and security and significance uh, brought back into our lives because he's a good, good father and Jesus Christ does all things well, amen? So I'm getting ahead of myself. So how do we have those needs met? How do we seek satisfaction and significance? Uh, maybe there's more, but I have four this morning. Number one, we can ignore them. Some people don't know how to verbalize what's wrong with me. Uh, whenever I have had to fill in in between youth pastors and, and uh, I've had interaction with teenagers or young adults, sometimes even beyond that, uh, the cry of so many of their hearts is just, I'm confused and I'm depressed and I'm anxious and 
and I don't have a lot of hope, and I don't know if there's a future. There is just a lot of depression out there in, in people, and, and people don't even know what's wrong with them, but people are looking for security, and they're looking for significance. But, but, but the young ladies will never find significance taking 40 Snapchat pictures a day of themselves. Young men will never find significance and security in whatever image the world is trying to push them into. And by the way, the world's trying to push young men out of the mold of being who young men who God created them to be, by the way. It's a ploy of the enemy. So some people ignore them. And what do they do? They become self-abusers. They, they drink. They, they do drugs. They, they sleep around. They whatever. They, they become self-abusers. They, they live a hedonistic lifestyle just basically trying to drown out uh, that longing of their heart. Remember, no matter how bad someone's behavior seems to be, everyone has a story. And the purpose of the church is to write Jesus Christ into their story so a new chapter can begin. So let's not judge people without Jesus Christ. They, some of them, it's not that they're ignoring, they just don't know what's wrong. Secondly, people become achievement-driven. How many of us measure our value by our achievements? And this is where the world is trying to push us, Okay. This is the dysfunction that's applauded by the world. You know, it's crazy sometimes when you look at the entertainment industry. Some of these people have had more marriages than I've lived in houses. You know what I mean? And yet it, we say it's okay. It's because, but look at how good they are at what they do. Right? Uh, because somehow the business mogul, the, the people who neglect their families you know, giving their families everything they ever wanted except themselves. Like, the fact is, we are achievement-driven uh, 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 in our world. People with talent and calling who enter the ministry and save the world but destroy their relationships. So, I, you hear it in people's verbiage all the time. You know, we're dealing with someone right now, I don't mean as a church, just in our personal lives, and they're really good, and there's a lot of things in their life. There's, there's a lot of positive things in their life. They're really wonderful, wonderful person, but they always constantly come back to how others have told them, I'm doing a good job, and I'm really good at this job, and I shouldn't do it, and people say that I've raised my kids well, and you start to hear this over and over and over again, and you start to go, ha-ha, this, this person, as wonderful of a, of a spouse as they are, and a parent as they are, and as good at their job as they are, they're not just looking for fulfillment from those things, they're looking for uh, uh, that significance in their life, because you can hear it, other people say, and other people say, and I feel so good and if it goes well I'm devastated and listen friends it, it seems okay for a while but it leaves people empty here I'll, t I'll tell you why when we chase okay number one why is chasing significance and security in achievement in our jobs in our parenting in our family in our ministry in our hobbies whatever it is why, why is it why is it uh, dangerous well number one it's the expense of having that need met in God and we're only made to have that need met in God remember it was sin that moved us away from having that perfectly met in him but the second reason is when we're chasing significance and security and achievement what does failure do to our sense of self-worth what does failure do some, some people fail and they go, okay, now I know another way not to do it. And they get on, right? 
Some people, when they fail, it's not just that they fail and there's the repercussions of the failure. And I don't mean morally, I just mean in, in things in life. But their whole esteem, everything they've been building crashes down around them and they go into depression and they want to give up and they want to throw in the towel. Marriages suffer when achievements are the source. Why? Because what we do is we start to become so busy in our marriages, so busy building our lives that all the issues of the marriage get pushed aside and we just keep busy, 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 busy. And as long as we pour ourselves into our family, our work, our ministry, we can live to a degree of functioning. So here's the problem. Let's let's bring it home to marriage. What's the problem with achievement-driven? Search for significance in that. And I'm going to tell you folks, people do it all the time. I've unfortunately had to sit with, with mothers who... Their marriage is hurting. And so all of their significance and their love and security comes from their children. And they put heavy demands on their children because you hear things. You, How many of you know sometimes you, know, you love your children more than they love you? No, it's just I'm not trying to trip anyone. Come on, seriously. How many of you know that sometimes you know, your children don't respond in a way to you? That's always affirming, and I did it as a kid. I was nasty to my parents. I've watched parents become devastated because their children have gone to college and don't call them anymore. And and I'm not trying to be harsh, but when kids go to college, they don't always call us anymore. I'm sorry. You know, Gilmore Girls is an unhealthy way to parent. (laughs) And it's not reality. I I don't know how to, okay, so. So let let me put it this way. People that are achievement driven and don't deal with their own brokenness and wholeness and don't deal with the issues of their marriage. There's a trend in the church and in the world right now that uh, empty nesters are splitting up at a rate faster than ever before. Do you know why? Because when the children leave, when they retire, they're left with one another. And they're left with 30 years of not really having a soul-spirit connection. They're left with not having wholeness. Uh, Again, I've watched, and I'm sure you have too, you, you see, you know, there's these pastors that just can't retire. It's, it's true. They just can't retire. And long, listen, please, long after they really should retire, they can't. And I, I'm, just, I'm just picking on, you know, my field of reference. Do you know why? Because they didn't get a sense of fulfillment from the ministry they did. They got a sense of significance from the ministry that they did. And if you take the ministry away from them, they're completely lost. They're, when pastors retire... They say depression and divorce and all kinds of things hit them. Why? Because their, their whole life and security and significance were built around the ministry that they do. It wasn't in God. So they, weren't, they were never getting fulfillment from the ministry. They were getting that need for significant men. And that's not healthy. And it's true of all of us. If my significance is in my parenting or my family or, or my children, what happens if one of my children rejects me? What happens if they don't turn out the way I want? What happens if I give love and it's not reciprocated the way I want? I am absolutely devastated and my sense of significance is gone. I feel like a failure. 
We can't substitute family, careers. Uh, we can't substitute any of those things for a healthy marriage. And we can't have a healthy marriage without us being significant and secure in the love that God has for us. We can't. Okay? So we'll move on from that. Uh, the most, well, another popular is attempt to meet those needs in each other. That's why I call this, I thought marriage would fix everything. Consider two people coming together in marriage, each with their own sense of expectations of looking to the other to meet those pressing personal needs. Problem is, when people move away from Jesus Christ as the center, we start to search for significance. We start to search for answers in other things and other people. We buy into the Jerry Maguire marriage philosophy. Jerry, Tom Cruise, says to Dorothy Renee Zellweger, you complete me. And it becomes a catchphrase, it becomes a catchphrase for the entire world and for, for a generation of people. We would hear this thing at marriages, we'd hear vows and people would say, because you completely. And, and you know, if, if I was officiating, I'd always go, but inside I was going, <laughs> that's not in my notes, I'm so sorry. Oh, here's the problem. Two halves, two on holes, don't make a hole. I, I have, and I'm going to, can I be brutally honest or do you want me to preach, preach here or do you want me to be honest? Okay, I'll be honest. Men who are addicted to pornography and masturbation enter marriage thinking marriage will fix that. It doesn't. No, listen, it doesn't. It robs what that addiction does. People think, and, and it, because marriage fixes everything, right? It doesn't. That issue has to be fixed by the blood and the power of Jesus. The shame needs to be lifted from it. The addiction needs to be lifted. The foothold the enemy has in their lives and minds needs to be broken. And Jesus Christ needs to just come in and set them free so that now they can enter into marriage a whole person and the, and the, the programming in their brains that, has, that, that automatically has turned them towards that will now start to turn them towards their wife. It's about wholeness. People come into marriage thinking it will fix their loneliness. Or, or people that have come into marriage from a dysfunctional home will somehow think that clinging to their spouse will now fill up that need in their life of abandonment or abuse. But it doesn't. Are you quiet because like I'm, it's like this or is, is this making sense? No, is this making sense? Okay, all right. You know, sometimes you think, boy, the Lord's doing a deep work, they're quiet, and really everyone's going, huh? <laughs> when two people enter marriage bound together by a commitment to exploit the other for filling one's own needs, I like how Dr. Larry Crabb describes that relationship. It's a tick on a dog. Ticks clamp onto dog. The only reason they're there, they're looking for nourishment. But the problem is when two Unwhole people come together in marriage thinking the marriage is going to be the dog or the spouse is going to be the dog. All they find out is there's another tick. And there's an ache in their heart that won't go away. There's a dysfunction that can't be fixed. Or there's the one who is clamped onto the other and that they build a codependent relationship. One is constantly ordering their lives, their decisions, and their actions around the neediness of the other. 
And it's a constant give and take that flows in one direction, but it never resolves the core issue or makes anyone whole. It's fundamentally selfish and demanding. And the problem with that relationship is this, is that at some point, the, the person who's constantly ordering their life. So, for example... Uh, uh, people, people who have been abused, people that have grown up in dysfunction or abandoned, people who have been through the pain of divorce or, or any of those things, what they try to do is they, if, if they don't find peace and wholeness in Christ, then they try to order their lives so that they won't be hurt again. We're going to address that in a minute. But they become controlling. Because they're, they're in controlling people, they're trying to control their circumstances all around them so that they won't be hurt, and they do that to their spouse. So a codependent relationship is built. You've got the tick. I'm not trying to be crude, but it's, it's a good analogy. You've got the tick who's constantly saying, I need, I need, I need, I need, in order to feel significant and secure. And you've got the other codependent person who says, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, because that's how I feel my significance. Because a significant person who's significant in God wouldn't put up with that very long because they would say, you need to be whole and I'll journey with you. But this isn't healthy. I don't want you to depend on me this way. You need to depend on God. Okay? Does this make sense? It's a form of spiritual abuse. If I made you dependent on me for your spiritual needs, would you say that's spiritual abuse according to Scripture? Right? Spouses do it all the time. They live in a codependent relationship saying it's okay for my spouse to be this needy and for me to order my life and the life of everyone else around their needs. But what you're doing is you've set yourself up as an idol because they're looking to you for their significance and their security. The two things that were robbed from them or that they don't have, you are looking for, the, you're, you're allowing them to put that on you. You're not Jesus. You have to steer them to the Lord. Does this make sense this morning? By the way, I'm an enabler. In my nature, I'm an enabler. That means that I'm the codependent person who constantly wants people to need me. And I always have to keep that in check. I always have to steer uh, people away from me and to, to God. Okay, so the fourth and only real option, security and significance uh, are genuinely met in a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our ability to function as people at any time supplied in our relationship with Christ and whatever, whoever he chooses. So, I, dysfunction has become so normal in our society and in our lives that we don't even know we're broken. So, so maybe, maybe some of the things I've said this morning, you look in your relationship and go, oh my goodness, we've been that way for years, but it works for us, so don't mess with it. Right? Listen, that word sod so salvation, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, the Bible kind of takes liberties in its translations. The King James does it, the NIV does it, the New Living does, depending on the context. That word sozo is used many dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament when it speaks of salvation, saved, to be saved. Jesus came to save. Okay? That word's used many times. And depending on the context, uh, the translations will take the liberty to say, Jesus came to save sinners. So they'll say, he came to save sinners. Uh, in James chapter 5, which will probably be our text next week, the Bible says that the, the prayer of faith will, uh, the NIV says, raise up the sick person. The word is actually sodso. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. It's the same word. 
Why? Because the salvation that Jesus Christ died on the cross to offer and to make available and is available through the power and person of the Holy Spirit is that word sodso, which means body, mind, and spirit. When you and I were sinners, we received salvation and forgiveness of sins. When I'm sick in my body, I receive salvation in my body, the healing of my body. When I am broken in my spirit and soul and broken in my mind, I can receive the sodso salvation in my mind that Jesus Jesus has made available. And just so you don't think that I'm like bashing the pulpit and pointing fingers, I am just learning what sodso salvation means for my mind. And I'm 46 years old. And I'm just learning what it means, the difference between my significance being in what I, in, in Jesus and my fulfillment in what I do. A year ago, I realized I find my significance in the ministry and I wasn't getting any fulfillment out of it. And God's been setting me free of that. Okay, so I'm in this with you. All right, let's move on. So two fundamental truths. I need to be loved. Uh, I'm going to skip some stuff here. God loves us with a love we never deserved. We can't earn it. So it's a love that sees everything ugly in us, knows even our deepest thought, and still chooses to love and accept and bless us. It's not dependent on what I do. It doesn't increase or decrease based on my behavior. So it's a love displayed on the cross when Jesus himself suffered and died in my place. And it was my sins that he became. And it was God's wrath poured out of my sins on his son to pay my price so God would be free to love me unconditionally and as freely as he loves Jesus. Friends, if you can't say amen to that this morning because it's heart knowledge, that's the first step for you today. He loves you that much. You get even just a flicker of that kind of love. You know, there's an old song from the 80s called Eighth Wonder, and it says if there's seven wonders in the world, the eighth wonder would be if I could see myself the way you see me, and it's so true. I had a friend who just went to Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro, you know, that big Christ that overlooks the city, and they said it was awe. It was breathtaking. It was majestic. You just, when you see it, one of the seven wonders of the world. Well, you know what? If we could even get just a flicker, just a glimpse of how much God loves us, it would be the eighth wonder because we would literally go, oh, it would take our breath away how much God loves you. Secondly, I need to be significant. Uh, well, Romans 8.15 says that uh, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received a spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15 also talks to our significance, because he, the spirit of truth, comes in, and he draws us from an outward source of significance to looking inward at his presence, and that's my source of significance. You know what? It's been in the last year that I've been able to just say, I am significant because God chose to place his Holy Spirit in me. And if there's people that don't like my preaching, people that don't like the church I'm called to pastor and whatever, that's fine. You know what? It doesn't devastate me anymore. I'm not saying you don't feel the pain of those things. You don't sometimes go, mm, you know, it doesn't devastate me anymore. You know why? Because I'm significant. Because you know what? If I show up next week and there's nobody here and none of you like me, it's going to hurt. It's going to, you know, I'll have to find another job, I'm sure. But, but th- the fact is, I'm significant because the Holy Spirit hasn't left me. If God Almighty chooses to put his spirit in me, then we better put up with each other a little bit longer. 
And if we don't see that in one another, then fine, I'm still significant. I may not be fulfilled, but I'm significant, okay? So, our, our need for significance is met in the indwelling person and work of the Holy Spirit because in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So whether you're a housewife, a house dad, whether you're a single parent, single, married, divorced, fact is God's placed his spirit in you. You're born again and he, he has you on the mission field where he wants you and that's your purpose. Step out in that purpose and you'll know significance, okay? So it doesn't mean that we don't feel disappointed and hurt when people reject us or, but we're secure enough and significant in who we are that we can risk again and we're not devastated. But here's where the challenge comes. When key relationships fail to make me feel fulfilled and satisfied, okay, on this level, and when that happens ongoing, like in a marriage, or from parents to children, or it can be difficult to hold on to the reality that I am loved and that I'm a worthwhile person. It's not going to happen. But if I were to go home here today, and if I had a wife that would start to tear into me and tell me what, you know, uh, this you are, and you failed here and that and this and that, it would be hard for me, honestly, to hang on to the significance that I have in God if I was getting, you know, getting that launched on me when I walk through the doors so it is a struggle uh, and over time if I didn't walk in a renewed mind empowered by the Holy Spirit motivated by the word declares this to be the way others treat us or devalue us may wear us down and we could become insecure and wounded but I want you to know that's why time in his presence, time in his word is so important because if we don't, we'll start to put up protective barriers, withdraw to avoid feeling hurt, unloved, and rejected again. And marriages in this state lose soul connection and cease to share deep feelings and the relationship becomes surface. Pay the bills, raise the kids, get them off to college, have the grandkids home, go to work. But at some point, some day, some way, it's all going to come up short <clears throat> so what happens when any wound is ignored it festers I, we've been doing work in the house and if you can see my hands they're all cut and because I refuse to wear band-aids no I, I don't I just forget all the time <clears throat> I keep banging this thing and how many of you know that an open wound it takes a lot less for it to hurt then you know if I were to bang that hand it doesn't hurt but if I were to bang that wound like I did this morning man it brought tears to my eyes it shot right up my arm last Sunday some of you don't know this but last Sunday I was up here speaking and I looked down and my hands were bleeding onto my pants and uh and I and 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 I say all that just to say this wounds don't go away they fester and what happens is uh in a marriage when we don't deal with the woundedness of our life and when those wounds start to get projected and received on one another, what happens is things that wouldn't, wouldn't normally devastate or hurt us if we were whole people, just, just he looks at you the wrong way and you're devastated and you're angry and it's another night of silence. Why? Because it's an open wound. And I think that this word is being released this morning because Jesus loves us so much. He wants more for us than that. He wants to heal our marriages. He wants to set us free. But I, and I, I just need to be honest and say this. Maybe you're in a situation where your spouse isn't serving the Lord and you say, right now, I believe in prayer. I believe, you know, God's answering. But right now, I just don't see 
a restored marriage the way you're speaking of. No, maybe not at this point, but you can be restored. You can be restored. doesn't mean you won't hurt. It doesn't mean there won't be that sense of sometimes that sense of fulfillment not being in your life, that sense of satisfaction in, in love, but you will be secure and you will be significant. Because no matter how bad your marriage gets, not even your spouse can rob you of that if you learn to walk in that and allow the Holy Spirit to change you in that. So we're, we're going to close with this in a minute, but I'm going to give an illustration. We kind of got ahead Wednesday night talking about this, but this is what unwholeness is like. See, uh, <clears throat> when we're unwhole, <clears throat> I kind of already addressed this, we live on this cliff of safety, okay? And at the bottom of this cliff, way down there, is the valley of rejection and devastation, Okay? Because of the woundedness in our lives, because of the unwholeness in our lives, because of what, you know, what happens to us, we start to live on this cliff of safety uh, where, where in, order, in order for us to forgive our spouses, right? Uh, because how many of you know that love is manifested in forgiveness, right? In order for us to forgive our spouses, what do we have to do? We have to step off that cliff of safety we have to step off and we've got to plunge again. But why don't we? We don't because we know that if we forgive our spouses, if we put ourselves out there, if we take that risk, if we start to even just give our heart over them a little bit and they do it again or we're rejected again or it happens again, what happens? We hit the bottom of that floor and the devastation comes. So what do we do? We don't forgive. We live on the cliff of safety. We, so, so because of our brokenness, uh, because of our past, because of the hurt, because of all of the things that have come to devastate our marriages and our lives, we live on this cliff of safety and we can't even do the right things, the things we want to do, because again, we know if we step off, it's a long fall down and we're going to be crushed again. But this is what wholeness does. This is what my significance in Jesus Christ, my security in Jesus Christ does. This is what it allows me to do. It allows me to say, I'm in a place where I've been healed. I'm in a place where I've been whole. It doesn't mean that, the, that what's going on in my marriage or what my spouse has done or is doing doesn't hurt me. It doesn't mean there's times I don't feel rejected. It doesn't mean there's not times that obviously I'm not fulfilled right now in my marriage relationship. Obviously, I'm not satisfied in the love that's coming back, but you know what? I'm secure. And I'm significant. And nothing can ever rob me of that. So suddenly, suddenly, the Lord says, part of the healing process is you just need to forgive them. And you need to just love them. And you say, but I've done it before in God. It took me years to recover. And he says, but it's different this time. And you step out. And it happens again. And you start to free fall. But this is what happens this time. Before you hit the valley of there's hurt. There's things that you need to process and work through. But before you ever hit the valley of devastation. Do you know what happens? That cord that reaches up to heaven grabs you. And it stops you from hitting that. And you say, you know what? Wait a sec. I'm not devastated this time. I stepped out and I forgave. I stepped out and I loved 
I stepped out and I, and I flowed into, into, into my marriage and my, my spouse, my partner. I flowed into them. And you say, and, and it didn't come back. I didn't get that sense of fulfillment that I wish I did. I didn't get that sense of satisfaction and just a warm love. But you know what? I still am significant because I'm still a child of God. And I'm still loved. I mean, this situation wanted to rob me of that, but I know that I know that I know that I'm loved. And you know what? I'm not broken. I can get up tomorrow and I can get on with my day. I don't need to sit and be devastated by this. I don't need to be, I don't need to be angry for the next 48 hours. I don't need to be bitter for the next day. I don't need to be broken and depressed. No, it hurts. But you know what? I'm hanging on by thread, but I'm hanging on to that cord of significance and I'm hanging on to that cord of, of security. Does this make sense this morning? This is why wholeness in Jesus Christ. This is why our marriage always has to start with us. And if you're broken this morning like I am, it's okay. We do the best that we can with what we have. But you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. Which means he's got something better for you. Amen? He's got something better for your marriage. And he, he can heal you. I declare sazo, salvation, over each and every person here today. I declare that. So what we're going to do is we're just going to close in prayer. We have to take up our offering. Now, I know you might feel that I've given more diagnosis than we have healing today. But how many of you know you can't stick a Band-Aid on the skin to heal cancer? And so I really believe that what the reason that we've taken this approach is the foundational truth is that we will never be who God called us to be in our marriage. Did you hear what I said? We will never be who God's called us to be in our marriage unless we understand these foundational truths. And I also want to tell you something else. If, if the truth of what's being declared is, seems to be here and you seem to be way over here, it's okay. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. He bridges the gap. All he wants is the want to. And he'll start the process. The process never looks like the promise. Sometimes the process absolutely stinks, but it brings us into the promise of God. And I'm telling you, you can know significance and you can know security in him. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray for every person who hears this truth and their heart is reaching out for it, but they seem so far from it. I just pray in Jesus' name you would come in the encouragement of your Holy Spirit and that they would know that what your word declares we can walk in. No matter how impossible it seems, you're the God who heals us and heals our marriages. I thank you for every person here today that came to hear your word. I pray that your word would continue to encourage them, change us. Oh, God. I speak salvation. Salvation over every mind, over every soul, over every emotion, over every wound, over every hurt, over every past, over every body, over every spirit this morning in Jesus' name. And we declare the enemy who has lied and stealed and killed and destroyed and told people this morning the wonderful, precious saints of God 
that nothing will ever change. I just break that lie off in Jesus' name. And I want to thank you that greater is Jesus Christ in us than he that is in the world. And our past will no longer cripple our future because we are being made into whole sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are going to become who you already declare us to be. Thank you that we are going to start to experience what your word says we can have. Thank you, Lord. So I pray people will come Wednesday nights and we'll start to deal with some of the practical things that will enrich our marriages and enrich our Christian relationships and enrich our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God loves you. I love you and he loves your marriage. So, <clears throat> so thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our message. If you want to know what we're about as a church or to find out more about Parkway, you can visit our website at parkway-church.com. And if you like what you hear, why don't you join us? We would love to have you here on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here in Corona on Murray Drive.